Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Welcome to the Inside Carolina On The Beat Live podcast. Back live, Gregory Hall is home from vacation or a trip or wherever he was. Um, clearly, the oldest guy in the room could not handle uh, the tech side of things. I'm going to blame it on Zoom. That's what we do. We blame it on somebody else around here. Um, so I did that, and I couldn't get it done. I just couldn't. So thanks, Gregory. I'm glad you're back. Why don't, why don't you introduce who we have here? Because this is going to be fun. It's going to be different. Um since I was called out, uh, I will preface it by saying, since I was called <laughs> out on a on somebody's live stream uh, yesterday, I made an invite to the two parties that called me out by name, and the one that was most adamant called me out, failed the show, but we do have the other one. Who we got, Gregory? We have video intern Kirsten Clark down here taking over Luke Buxton's role. Um, glad to have her on the show. We, she was on assignment yesterday. We said we had four of us on assignment yesterday for national signing day. So she's here to talk a little bit about her business trip yesterday to Greensboro, North Carolina. And then we have the man that doesn't need an introduction, Don, Donnie scoops Callahan with his Christmas sweater. He's the only one in the festive mood here. So Don Kirsten, thanks for coming. We got Greg here in a little bit. Greg will be, Greg will be on. He's in route to his house from the beautiful Cary, North Carolina, back to Holly Springs. So he'll be here in a little bit. But for now, it's us four. Yeah, somebody's already said Gregory is has Greg, earned himself a, a raise. Is Greg always late? No. Uh, really? Because he's always late for, like, any sort of meeting we have. He's always the last one to walk in the door. I probably shouldn't call him now like that. Wow. <laughs> hey, uh, that, I mean, you've been on the show for 30 seconds, and you're already <laughs> calling out the man. Uh, no, Greg, Greg is a uh, – he wants to be the last one come in so all the eyes turn, you know. Gotcha. When, they, when they see the door open, everybody's expecting Greg. <laughs> and um, so, yeah, but we live with it because he's the best in the business at what he does. Let's talk a little bit about, and Kirsten, I'll bring you in. And if I ever mispronounce your name, I'm going to say Ms. Clark because I kind of, <laughs> I've always liked that name. I like that. That works. I will do that. Uh, <laughs> tell us about your trip to Greensboro. Um, you know, yesterday is always uh, – or signing day is always crazy um, on Inside Carolina, especially. And it, it works for a couple of reasons. One, because Don does what he does. And, and then Ross and him do the live stream. But also because Inside Carolina's got great people to go out across the state and even states in Gregory's. Um, yeah, Gregory went to Virginia, in case folks didn't realize. <laughs> but you went to Greensboro. Tell us why you were in Greensboro and why it was such a big deal for Carolina football. I did. So I went to Greensboro to Grimsley High School, um, where Travis Shaw 
goes. If you don't know the name Travis Shaw, um, you need to know it. Uh, Five-star defensive tackle, um, number one in the state. Um, six foot five, 330 pounds, flexible, can rush the pass, quick, athletic. Um, it was his, yes, he signed yesterday to UNC. Um, just a big moment. This is my second time going to Grimsley for him, actually. I went back in August for his commitment announcement. Um, but I just think he'll be a great addition to UNC. Um, and it, I mean, both times I went, it was great. Um, great guy to talk to, confidence through the roof. Um, but I think that's what UNC needs right now. So um, yeah, that's why I was in Greensboro. Absolutely. Gregory, what'd you do yesterday? I made the luxurious two and a half hour trek through the rolling hills of North Carolina, Virginia, up to Lynchburg, Virginia, to hang out with number one offensive tackle in the country, five-star, the second five-star in the class, Zach Rice, um, at Liberty Christian Academy in the Pope Chapel. I think it's Pope Chapel, Pate Chapel, maybe one of the two. Um, where he signed alongside three of his fellow high school classmates. Um, they had three football players sign, um, quarterback to Virginia, and then a tight end linebacker to Army West Point, um, and then a female basketball player track star to Wilmington, actually. So they had a fun little ceremony up there. I hung out with Zach and his mom, Miss Rice. It was her birthday the day before, and so he talked about that and their relationship. They're extremely close. You've probably seen both of them on Twitter um, to our listeners, to our viewers right now. Um, and yeah, just hung out with them, talked with Zach a little bit. He talked about his mindset that he's bringing to UNC because he'll be here on January 7th. Kirsten is Travis. He's an early enrollee too. Yeah. He is. Yeah. He'll be there. Yeah. January so they'll, 7th also. they'll, they'll mm -hmm. both be here in Chapel Hill fairly soon. Um, and Mac talked about hopefully four or five of the eight early enrollees. Don might know more about this than I do. Um, are going to try to practice at the bowl game for the bowl games for the bowl game practices. There you go. There can't be in the bowl game, but if they get all of their exams done and are officially graduated, they can come down to Chapel Hill and practice with the team during the bowl game practices. So hopefully I know Zach's going to try to do that. He mentioned it. He's not sure yet. Um, he's still got some online stuff to do, but yeah, just went up there, um, met Zach for the first time, met his mom and got to see him officially sign the dotted line. And his wasn't a formality. Um, he didn't send it in beforehand or whatnot. He actually signed the official documents during a ceremony, which not a lot of people do. So yeah, it was pretty cool to go up there and, and see that happen because I mean, Travis is the number two is the highest, second highest rated recruit UNC's ever signed since 247 Sports started tracking it behind Marvin Austin, Zach Rice is right behind him at number three. So two huge gets for uh, for Carolina. Don, I'll bring you in here. People already commenting on your get up and the cat walking around. You got a lot going on. Um, yeah. and you've, you've been quite busy, but even without those two guys, uh, Carolina's class was pretty impressive, but they clearly put the class over the top, first in the ACC, top 10 in the nation at the moment. Uh, can we really quantify how important Travis Shaw and Zach Rice are uh, to Mac Brown's program at this time? Or is it something that'll, that'll, we'll be talking about three, four, four years down the line, what these guys were able to do? I mean, it's hard to quantify it, but it, there's a lot of symbolism involved with a lot of this stuff. I mean, obviously those guys are incredibly talented, you know, five-star guys, 
you know, from the star perspective means there's a really good chance that they're going to be big time players, high draft picks once their college careers are over. But from, you know, other, other elements that it matters, such as the fact that UNC had a difficult time fending off Clemson, particularly with in-state recruits for the longest time. And Travis Shaw, yes, you can probably, you know, if you want to make the argument about Tony Grimes, but Clemson wasn't in it to the end with, with Tony Grimes, but Travis Shaw was the first one, first true one where Clemson, North Carolina were finalists and UNC clearly beat them out. So that was significant there. You know, Zach Rice, obviously an out-of-state guy, a little bit different situation, but you're battling Alabama, you're battling um, Notre Dame, which was, was a lot stronger of a contender than what most people think, according to his mother. Um, you know, and also um, Virginia was, was one of the bigger, um, I guess, contenders there just because of his connections to that program. And the fact that UVA had been recruiting him, well, particularly UVA's offensive line coach had been recruiting him since he was a freshman. So it was really difficult to overcome that, but obviously UNC did. But I mean, these are five-star guys, and just saying that you're you're signing five-star guys is just—it says a lot. It means a lot. It it um, affects things later on in, in in the upcoming classes. If you look at you know what Sam Howe just signing Sam Howe did for in-state recruiting, I think that had a really big impact later on in later classes. You look at Tony Grimes. Really, if you think about it, you know, greatly influenced this class, even though he was signed. Well, he was signed the prior class, but then reclassified. But um, I don't know if UNC gets all these Virginia guys without Tony Grimes. So I think that Zach and um, Travis will obviously have impacts on the football field, but they'll be felt in other ways in later classes. I mean, UNC was one of six schools to sign two five stars in this cycle. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, which is just crazy to say. I don't think it's like since starting covering this team four years ago. And even since I got to Carolina five plus six years ago, I didn't never thought that would be something that I would, a sentence that I would say and actually mean, which is pretty remarkable. Yeah. It's amazing what Mac has been able to do. Um, and Don, it sort of goes to your point that you talk about a lot is that current results don't really matter. Game to game results don't yeah. really matter in recruiting. I mean, Carolina did not have the year they were supposed to have this year. No, absolutely. And and, and I mean, and a lot of those recruitments ventured into the season, you know, Andre green didn't decide until November. Zach Rice didn't, didn't announce and and really decide until October. George Petaway was in September. I mean, these were guys who were the top of this class who committed during the season while North Carolina wasn't doing very well. So, but, you know, they believed in just the vision and the trajectory that they're being pitched and really can't, you know, come down with relationships and, and all on all those sort of things and just perception. Yeah. Question. Let me ask you a direct question and it's, it's speculation and all, but no, we've talked about it before. Matt Brown okay, can good. sell. And I want to get everybody's opinion on it, but I'll start with you. Matt okay. Brown can sell hope better than anybody. Mm-hmm. He can sell hope and vision better than anybody. So with all the coaching changes, um, and especially in the coastal, that clearly helps North Carolina. Uh-oh, here's Greg. Uh, Greg's coming in. Is he here? Well, good. Oh, there he is. So he'll give me the real answer. Greg, we're <laughs> talking about recruiting, Mac Brown's ability to sell hope. Um, but I want Don's 
thing first. At what point, Don, does on I the like field the, uh, sweater there, Don? I know. <laughs> it don't don't flatter him. He's already getting props on the fan by the fans on the chat. So I can't uh, see the fans. How do, do I? Is it in the get, in the YouTube? You yeah, got some. You have to pull people. up YouTube. Uh, I'll have yeah, to do but, that. Yeah, mute. I want to make sure all my attention's on this question. No. Yes. First. The the question is: At what point do you have to produce on the field to continue to have high level and high recruiting classes? Well, I mean that's that that's a really good question, and you you know you would think this past season because what is this year three, right? Yeah. So you would think this past season, if the results are your know, next season are similar to this season it's going to get really really hard really really hard because it you know anytime someone says anything about um you know, you know, pitching what north carolina can be the opponents are going to say they're saying this but they've been saying this for years and they haven't been able to produce so i think really next year you know you need to do something but um yeah i mean it, it is a good question i'm, I'm curious to listen to Hear what everyone everyone else has to say. Here's what you think. It's important. Hold on one second, Greg. It's important to know before you keep complimenting Don that he was busting your chops thirty seconds in that you were late. So (laughs) just that's right. Fashionably late, man. When you carry the weight, you can walk in whenever you want. (laughs) Kirsten, you've been covering this team for a year now. At what point do do the results on the field need to match? Uh, the the discussions and the vision. Yeah, well, I think you're right in saying that Mac Brown does a really good job of selling, um, you know, the program and the team. Just listening to Travis, to Travis Shaw yesterday, um, he talked a lot about, you know, what Mac had said to him and people at UNC knowing his name. And um, that's real, that played a really big role in him committing to UNC um, and signing yesterday. But I think, too, it's still kind of early. Mac's only been back. This is, what, his second year now. So um, I think he still has a little bit of time. Um, you know, to not do great as they haven't been in the last two years. Um, so I think that plays a big role in it. And these guys in this recruiting class feel like they're the ones that can make that change. Um, so I think it's just, yeah, the fact that Mac hasn't been here quite that long. Um, and they feel like they're, you know, the class that can bring that change that needs to come to UNC. So what do you think, is it, Gregory? Is it more about wins or is it more about draft picks to these young men? Someone just posed that in the chat about draft picks because so I just I, I think that's in, yeah 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 I just think that's interesting yeah, to bring so, up because I think it matters. And I know that's that's usually kind of pointed to by a lot of people, but I actually you can get drafted anywhere, and you can always say, oh, at this place, you know, an offensive line coach can say, well, look at the guys that got drafted at all these other places. I actually think perception is the most important item when kids make a decision, and yes perception is is dictated by what you do on the football field and ross and i actually had a really good conversation about this uh, you know, a few maybe like a month or two ago but if you have a coach who can kind of spin the perception and mac brown is really good at that and i think that's what has helped him be such a good recruiter is that even when things aren't going so well i mean we see it in in the um the press conferences he's able to spin things the way he wants them and he, is a, he has you know He's really good at that with, with his words and everything. But I think perception is, I mean, and if you think about it, you ask anyone, best program, they're going to say Alabama usually, maybe Georgia, maybe Clemson. And it's, yes, Alabama puts those guys in the, in the draft. But every once in a while, you do get teams that have a lot of 
you know, the it factor with, with the kids. And you're like, why is that? They don't do this or they don't do that. And it's just because, you know, the, the coaches at those programs are able to just change the perception to those particular kids. And I think when it comes down to it too, I mean, if, if like you mentioned the way Mac and then the staff sells the team, it's like, look, we're bringing you in to help us win. We're not just going to win like just because, right. So I think that plays a role too. selling to these recruits. That's like, look, we want you to come in and you're going to help us win. Like you have to put in the work. We're not just going to give it to you. We're not just, just going to give you wins just because you're on campus. So I think that might play a role as well to these kids, as far as if we're talking about selling and perception and all of that is they understand that they're embracing the vision that's being pitched to them and they want to be a part of it and they want to contribute to it, not just it being handed to them as well. I think that might play a role. Greg, your thoughts here. I mean, somebody said, um, wins and draft picks are, they go hand in hand and they do. But if you look at Alabama, I mean, how many guys off Alabama's defense get drafted every year? Like all of the ones that are eligible to be drafted basically, you know, so how does Mac keep it up? I look recruiting class eventually, and we've talked about this on this show plenty of times before, eventually you have enough talent to cover up, um, whatever deficiencies there are. Uh, but Carolina's still not there yet, even with this class, maybe 23, 24. Um, but, Greg, where does it start having to pay off on the road to keep it up? Fans are probably not going to like this. I don't think there's any <laughs> rush. Um, and I, I think what you just said there, Tom, is exactly right. Is if, if you know, John Bunning's a good example, right? Because by the time he got fired and he had been in town – what, six years, seven years, whatever it was, six years, right? About three um, too long. Well, that's a different topic, Tommy. Um, <laughs> but he was, I mean, to this day, he's like, we almost had it turned around. You know, we almost had the guys we wanted in to be able to really start building and recruiting. And Don could tell you, I mean, some of those last couple of classes he signed, I mean, even the 03 and 04 classes, I know a lot of those guys didn't hang around, but those were top 15, top 20 classes. Mm -hmm. So he was doing a better job. And you look at some of those guys in, in those late classes that, that Butch Davis was able to benefit from, Deontay Williams, Kendrick Bernie, Bruce Carter, all those guys were bunning guys. Yeah. And so there's some truth to that, that, you know, maybe if you give somebody enough time and they figure it out, you're going to be okay. Interesting dichotomy here at North Carolina. On one side, you have basketball with Hubert Davis. And I don't want to put words in Sherelle's mouth, but one, one thing that Sherelle has kind of pointed to is that Hubert's doing things the way he's doing it really because he feels a need to, to win um, one to, to make sure the team is able to succeed and, and not get too far down, you know, late in the season. So they're a pretty good seed and have a chance to, to make a move in March, but also because he's, he's a first year head coach and he's got to prove that he can, he can win. He didn't have to win like a national championship this year, but he's got to show progress because if he can't do that, forget it on the recruiting trail. But on the flip side, on football, you got a Hall of Famer. Um, one thing that I, I found interesting is that ACC Media Day this summer, he was wearing his national championship ring from 05, right? And everybody was oohing and on. And this is media members. And Mac being Mac, somebody mentioned it. So he takes it off and he flings it into the crowd. I don't know if you were there, Gregory, for that or not. And it was like fish to bait. Oh, my God. Had a, you had adults who were in the media business 
like flocking. <laughs> Pat Brown's talking to us in a limited amount of time that we have, and you've got like 10 media reporters oohing and on over a national championship rank. I'm like, okay, if these 30, 40 year olds are doing this, what's an 18 year old going to do? And when I talked with Mac a week later uh, at his North Carolina Hall of Fame induction ceremony, I asked him about some of the important things to get things rolling as quickly as he did in the first two years. And he said one thing that he didn't really expect to pay off the way it has is his Hall of Fame, National Hall of Fame induction. And how this that just brings weight with him when he walks into a room. Everybody kind of understands and appreciates like, whoa, wait a minute, this is a national hall of fame coach who's won a national championship he's won a lot of games and what that does is that 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 carries weight on the recruiting trail but he's also at north carolina he ain't going anywhere he can go four and eight next year and he's not going to lose his job and he knows Mm -hmm. that and so i think it's really a situation people are, are frustrated a little bit with how this season went for good reason but he's perfectly content that, you know what, we're recruiting lights out. We're doing everything we need to do in the recruiting trail. If we keep stacking classes, as you said, Tommy, eventually that's going to cover up a lot of, a lot of the deficiencies. Kirsten uh, did. Oh, sorry, Tommy. No, you Kirsten, did Travis talk about what did, when did Travis talk about Mac yesterday? And if so, what did he say? Yeah, he talked a lot about Mac yesterday. And like I said, back in August, um, I mean, just saying, when he got to UNC, everybody knowing his name. And that's because Mac Brown, you know, preaches Travis Shaw, Travis Shaw. Um, I mean, like I said, at his commitment ceremony, as soon as he made his commitment, first person he called, Mac Brown, put him on speaker so everyone could hear. Um, he talked about how, you know, he got recruited, I think, when he was in eighth grade by UNC, by first coach Fedora. Um, and then he said, oh, when Mac Brown came and he was reoffered, um, you know, it was a no brainer at that point. So, um, I think, yeah, Mac Brown played a huge role in him making that decision. One of the local media guys um, in Lynchburg that was at Zach's signing asked Zach what he was, like, most excited about, like, why UNC type of deal. And he was like, I get to play for a Hall of Famer. And, like, that was the whole answer. Um, so I think that kind of speaks to what you were just saying, Greg, about what these the two highest guys in the class think of Mac and how much that plays a role. So. I definitely have heard that from a lot of different recruits bringing up the, the Hall of Famer, the national championship. Hall of Famer definitely more than the national championship. The one, and I agree with everything Greg said. The one thing I wonder, though, is if North Carolina goes 500 again or under 500, let's say. You're losing quarter, well, potentially losing the quarterback. Um, so that's, that could happen. I don't, Mac is going to be safe. He's going to be safe until he wants to leave. But I feel like, and I'm interested to get your thoughts on it, that it, it becomes more difficult to stack those recruiting classes. What do you think? Well, someone brought up continuity for the coaching staff, and Greg. Yeah, that we, definitely helps. We talked to Mac, right, about how important that is um, because I think what you phrased the question as UNC is the only coastal team that didn't have a head coach or a coordinator change so far. Um, and so I think that definitely matters, but if they keep – the same results that they have been. Um, I mean, Clemson lost their two coordinators and they lost three highly touted recruits that were going there for those coaches. Right. Um, so that definitely, that definitely plays a role. Ross is in the chat. I know. I, but he said, but he said no so, to coming on. So here I got, I got something for Ross that Ross. 
He eats you out of house and home. M and M peanut M and M's. Greg, let let's stay on this topic for a minute because I do think it's relevant. Um, at least from a fan base standpoint, it felt like there was a rush to win ASAP. There was a like, and Mike even said it that 2021 was going to be the year. Um, how much of that fan driven? I don't know if rush is the right word, but um, the panic to win this year is because Sam Howell and Sam Howell might not be here next year or likely won't be here next year. It seems like that has driven the angst more than anything, thinking that Carolina and Mac and the staff and the program has missed an opportunity with the best quarterback they've ever had. Yeah, I don't think there's any, any question that, that North Carolina missed an opportunity this year. And you know, as we talked about in the offseason, everybody just assumed because the defense returned everybody but Chasterat. They looked pretty good in the Orange Bowl. They had a good game at Miami last year. That the defense would take a step forward. Well, the defense did not take a step forward. And when you counter, when you, when you add in the fact that we thought the offensive line would be a strength because they returned all the starters, the offensive line was not a strength. And so you, you see areas that seem like pretty easy spots for significant growth. And when you pair that with Sam Howe, you know, we looked I mean, we saw what happened in the coastal this year. I mean, Pitt and Wake Forest played for the ACC title. Um, did the they? opportunity did was anybody, there. Did anybody see that? <laughs> I mean, I saw the ratings and their ratings were not good. Um, so I don't think there's any doubt that this was a missed opportunity. And I think you could kind of sense that from Mac. Now, now Mac does a good job of framing it and saying, Hey, yeah, we got a little bit ahead of our skis, um, and we, we didn't perform the way we needed to. But certainly it's a missed opportunity. Um, and given the fact that you do lose somebody like Sam Howell, you are going to lose a number of, of starters this offseason. You're going to have less experience next year, although you're going to have better talent in the younger classes. I think next year you'll see a little bit better improvement. I'm not expecting a great year next year. But you're also setting the stage for 2023. And I really think if they don't have a breakout elite year in 2023, like contending for the ACC, ACC title kind of year, that's when Mac's going to have some, some issues with the fan base. Uh, but but I, you know, I think it's a pretty easy sell next year that, hey, you know, lost the best quarterback in, in UNC history, one of the best in ACC history. There's going to be a little bit of a pullback. Uh, and if they can win eight, maybe even nine games next year, Nine seems like a stretch, but you can at least say, hey, look, trajectory is going well. We're going to have a ton of players back. We're going to be really good in 2023. No more questions about talent. All that's all that's off the table now. Um, I, I think you can build towards that. But, yeah, you know, it's, it's a five-year deal. Um, and, and Max, yes, Max older. He's the oldest coach in, in FBS, but you know, he's not that old. So he, he's got a number of years left in him for him to make this kind of move. And look at that. Look at that pretty face. Wow. I'm here, baby. If you're going to get in, you got to get your audio right, man. You got dog barking in the background or I'm on my, I'm on my phone. So we're talking about, (laughs) well, no, I'll let you and Don discuss it. Don ask Ross a question um, and build off what we've been talking about. I'm zooming in from a Christmas party. This is the dedication I show to you, Tommy. (laughs) Um, Why aren't you dressed for it? Don is at least. Yeah, look. Uh, Ross, what? Uh, yeah. How many wins do you think Mac Brown needs next year to uh, to be safe? 
I mean, I heard Greg said or Gregory say he's not going to get fired, but man, I think the, the, the seat's warming up. And so got to get to seven or got to get to eight, eight or nine, I think, next year. Big year next year. Huge there's, year next year. They do no it without Sam Howell. Brown. They get eight or nine. What'd you say? Matt, Matt Brown's seat is not hot. That point no. is not, yeah, yeah. A, not entertainable. Yeah. But you think they can get eight or nine without Sam Howell? <laughs> um, yeah, I think eight's attainable. The defense and and some of the weapons they have on an offense, um, but yeah, I mean we got six or seven more wins. I mean the Naves will be restless with that record again. I mean at some point you gotta get back to eight and nine, eight nine ten. How many times has Carolina won over eight games in a season, Greg? <laughs> yeah, ever. Yeah, it's kind of crazy. Hey, but but the talent is better than ever now, right? They're stacking class on class on class. Number fifteen, number fourteen class, fourteen class. And then the number eight class. So that's got to – you got to see improvement on the field now, right, after three straight classes like that? I think yeah, eight always, is attainable. There's always the chance that one of these younger guys who hasn't really taken that step forward it just blows up, or, and a few, or a few of them, just because they're so talented. So, yeah, I mean, anything can happen because you have so much talent on the roster. I mean, look at Josh Downs, right? I mean, we knew he was good, but no one knew that this season was necessarily coming outside of maybe the fact that Diami and Daz were gone and there was no one else to really get the ball to. But, I mean, that could happen to either of the young running backs. Um, British Brooks is coming back. It could happen to him, even though he's an older guy. It could happen to Gavin Blackwell. Like, I mean, it could happen to Andre Green. Like, we don't, we don't know. So I'm not allowed to talk about Josh Downs. Yeah, I was going to say, we can't speak Let's that word. Not blah, blah, blah. Not, you guys. My show with that stuff. Y'all had fun with it. We'll leave it alone. We didn't have fun with it. It's not. We you did, did not, not have fun with it. We did not. There, were, there was nothing there. There was no there there. There was no there there. And People it got just blown up. understood what was said. Thank, yes. thank Greg for transcribing what I actually said. And that kind of died down a little bit after people actually saw what I said. <laughs> How to repeat it over and over again that I'm not reporting anything. I just heard rumors. Anyway. Um, I wanted to bring this up. Um, Matt talked about, and he's talked about the importance of getting these bowl game practices, which they are important. But he said that um, he's getting, they're getting time with some of the guys that other schools aren't getting. But like more than half yeah. of teams are playing in a bowl game. So is yeah. it really that much of an advantage to get practices if everyone else is getting them i wanted to hear your guys's thoughts because that stood out to me when you said that it's like yeah it's important but like it's not like it's a unique thing that no one else gets yeah 400 teams are playing in bowl games so yeah it's the same benefit everybody else is getting for the most part i mean espn even made a new bowl this year at the like last minute that's what i was gonna say there was i think there was 82 teams that could get into bowl games and then because there was one other team that was like six and six they actually created a bowl last minute so every six and six team in the fbs could could reach a bowl game all right kristen, kristen participation trophies you? yeah really I, it did allow hawaii to play at home in a bowl game i'd go to, i wish carolina would get the hawaii bowl one time the I'd, hit, bowl. Yeah. I'd hit buck up for those yeah i'll cover that one kirsten what a What's realistic next year? I know we're way early. We don't even know who's going to be on the roster, but this is what we do. We make predictions without much knowledge. What's realistic for this team? Um, I think eight or nine wins. You could say it's a stretch. Um, do I think they can do it? 
you're not gonna have Sam Howe. I mean, I feel like that, and that's, and I don't, I think you have to really consider that. That's a huge factor. And I mean, who's gonna, who's gonna be that QB one, be in that QB one role next year? I mean, do we know? Do we think? Do we have any predictions about who will be in that QB one spot? I want to know what Greg thinks about that. I would say the the odds on favorite at this point in time are, are Drake May. Okay. Okay. Um, who is still yet to be determined? A lot of experience. I think yeah. we would all agree on that, though. Yeah, I think um, I think the key is is juggling to to try to make sure the other guy doesn't transfer. Is that fair, though? I know it's necessary. It, it's it's, but is it it's done all the time. I mean, mm-hmm. no, but you got to what you don't want to get in a situation is that you pick a guy and then he gets injured and then you're throwing in someone who there's a huge step down in talent and into the quarterback position, you know, so you're, I think it's key to try to keep both of these guys on roster. And if, cause if one of them does transfer, then you've got what Boaz and Harold. Is that it? Yeah. Yeah. That's it. Love so Boaz as a kid, but yeah, but I mean, <laughs> um, speaking of the creation, you're talking about attainable. I was looking at their future mm-hmm. schedules. I think, I mean, mm-hmm. eight's certainly attainable because they're only tough non-conference mm-hmm. game, or I guess you play app at app. Okay. So that's, that's going to be, look, that's going to be brutal. That's tough. App is good. So you got App and Notre Dame yeah. are your two tough non-conference games. Um, and then you right, get – just... Yeah, I don't know. So, man. Go ahead. Yeah, I mean, they're young. So, um, talented, yes, but young. So, I think they still have a lot of learning to do. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think it's possible. But uh, I think this year was a lesson to not get our hopes too high. Um, and I think uh, – I, uh, yeah, I, I just, I don't have my hopes really high right now. And I think, um, I think anywhere between, I think six is a good number. That's what I'm sticking to six, six wins. If they do better than that, that's great. If not, um, they still have time to improve. Tommy, well, Tommy, if they pull in Kirsten, six wins next year, this place is going to burn down. Tommy Kirsten <laughs> is, is young and has a bright future ahead of, ahead of her. But she sounds like a crusty old North Carolina fan who is. <laughs> this year was disappointing. It was disappointing. I, uh, I, I was uh, one of those who had my hopes up real high for this year, and they were let down. So. Um, well, you didn't pick me at twelve and zero like Tommy. <laughs> I think it's possible, but I'll give them a little wiggle room to not to if they don't reach eight. We will. Uh, we will make our way too early predictions when we know what the roster is going into spring practice. And then we'll get back together at the end or at the start of camp, like we always do. And we'll put everybody on record. I think I will say this, if Carolina goes six and six next year, I might need to get a fire extinguisher for the inside Carolina message boards. Go ahead. There's some tough games on that schedule. Who's tough. Let's, let's look ahead. Notre Dame will always be tough. Wake Forest is going to return basically all their starters. Sam Hartman's coming back. Yeah. Hartman's coming back. That's that. We know that game Carolina's going to be down 17 in the third quarter. So do they have a quarterback (laughs) that can rally them like Sam has the last two years? Notre Dame's going to be fine at apps, a tough game. State returns a lot. A lot of those guys are coming back. Leary's coming back, back, right? Yeah. Leary's coming back. Isn't Leary coming back? Everybody's coming back. So there'll be Carolina good. That, that's four tough year. games. It, do you have to have a generational quarterback to, to, to go six uh, and six? I mean, <laughs> I mean, I mean, Sam Howe, 
there's no denying how great he's been, but let's be realistic. What's his record, his career record at Carolina? I think it speaks more to Carolina football than it does to Sam Howell. But oh, Greg, of course. You always spoke about Howell's record at Carolina's what? Oh, Lord, let me do the math here. Seven and uh, six, eight 21, and five. 21 and 16. Yeah, so that is what makes 20 and Kirsten's. 16. Makes Kirsten's prediction way too early prediction seem like more logical and more reasonable given the fact that the greatest quarterback in Carolina history <laughs> was producing yeah. average. But at some point, I mean, there are very few defenses, I mean, in, at the power five level outside of maybe the SEC that have the amount of talent that North Carolina is going to have next year. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, it's, it's ridiculous. The, you in turn, if you're if you're big into recruiting rankings, Carolina's got it. And yes, some of them are young. Um, but I keep going back to that that 09 team. I mean, I think they had that defense had, I think, one four star starting and only a couple seniors. That was one of the top ten defenses in the country. So it can be done. I know everybody's like, oh, I'll just give them a break. You know, once they're third and fourth year guys, they'll be good. Yeah, but I mean, these are elite guys. That, that should be able to play before – I mean, I get the first year, right? But when you have a full season in strength and conditioning, you should be able to produce. Um, and so I, I think Mac Brown really emphasized during his signing day press conference, we got to get pressure on the quarterback. we got to get pressure on the quarterback. And the fact that, you know, with Hamrick and Atkinson, some of these guys coming in, that's such an emphasis. I mean, you know, they've, they've recruited a lot of those guys in these last couple of classes, and nobody's popped yet. And I think that's a problem, and that, that, that's more of a development coaching thing than it is a, a talent acquisition thing. Yeah, that, that what you just said is pretty important, um, which continuity is a great thing. Um, what they always say about just because you have returning players doesn't mean, doesn't mean much if the returning players weren't the old, good to start with. There are two great lines from the bunning era. <laughs> One was uh, North Carolina's returning all their starters – that's the good news. The bad news is North Carolina is returning all the starters. And the other one was John Bunning's defense couldn't stop a, a herd of charging toddlers. Pretty accurate. Someone in the chat said, let's be honest, prime Tom Brady with this defense, UNC seven and five. So. Well, this defense is going to be better next year. Um, That's what we said this year. They were the last three games. Look, the, the entire. What was their record in those last three games? They weren't. They were against Pitt. They played good. They were Pitt. against NC State until they melted down. Come on. Until, they held State right. to 250 yards of offense yeah. and 10 points. But what was their record in those three games? One and two. That may what? So they were better. <laughs> yeah, but you gotta also look at it. Like, I mean, Pitt's offense was pretty nasty. That's the whole conversation. Yeah, and, they played great against Pitt. Yes, and they and they played great against State and really just some bonehead. Until you know, yes, until the bonehead decisions that just turned it all around. So, I mean, they played well. Do they win both of yeah. those games with a little bit better uh, grown-ups in the room? Probably. Look, the, I fought this battle the entire offseason. I am not doing this again. I'm after not doing the, it. After the Orange Bowl, all offseason, it was, oh, North Carolina played a lot better late in the year. They played really good in the Orange Bowl. Did they show flashes? Yes. Were they significantly better late in the year last year than the first half? No, they were not. The stats do not back that up. 
Texas A&M averaged like 10 yards per play in the fourth quarter of the Orange Bowl. They were losing and won by 14. So, like NC State, yes, they looked really good for three quarters, right? 58 minutes. I mean, whatever it was. Mm-hmm. But they didn't 55. close. So, at some point, you've got to put 60 minutes together. Yep. Um, yes, they did it against Pitt. I mean, give them credit for Pitt. They, they look great. Wake, they gave up 55 points to Wake. Um, so, yeah. Go ahead. You can get it's egg, gonna go. <laughs> We're just, I'm just letting you get it out. Just get it out. Um, the couch, We're here for you. One more thing want I to wanted say, to – He's not wrong. He's not wrong at all. One more thing I wanted to bring up about the signing day and the recruiting classes and three top 10 – three top 15 classes in a row. We talk about depth a lot, right? Um, the staff talks about depth a lot, but really they're what they didn't really play that yeah. much depth. So yeah. when do they finally get comfortable enough to play depth? Is it now, now that they've got three top 15 classes, regardless about outcome and records and whatnot, how many guys get on the field early in the season next year? just solely based on the talent that we know that they have. Is it more than 15 guys on a unit, like on a, like on defense? Are you talking about in this class? Well, no, I'm just talking about how many different players do we see on defense early in the season next year based on the talent that they've brought in the last three years? We play 11 at a time. I'm joking. Don, who do you who, – from the last two classes, we'll, we'll talk about this one they just signed especially mm-hmm. the early enrollees, and then the class from last year. Okay. How many of those guys, play, A, play significant roles, B, make a difference? Because well, everybody's like, oh, Mike Brown's got the talent. They got to be better. They got to be better. Well, well if you that? look at the, the class that they just signed yesterday, and if, if you just go back in time, I mean, true freshmen don't play nearly, nearly as much as people think. And, uh, I mean, the only guy that really saw significant reps was Javari Ritzy of, of the true freshmen um, for the most part. So, I mean, just looking at that, you're not really even – I mean, I expect Travis Shaw to get on the field because I think you, you have to even – you know, I mean, I think he's ready. But even if he wasn't, I think you have to because of his um, profile and all that. But, I mean, I just – I don't see a whole lot of guys who are ready if I'm being realistic and if I'm looking back – at just how history is from, from, from this current class. Now, the, the next class, I mean, a lot of that depends on just what the development has been with those guys from, you know, from the time they signed last year till now. And, and I don't have that information. You know, obviously, it's, it's pretty safe to assume that Jabari Rissi is going to see increased reps. You know, I think you got to get Rara Dilworth on, on the field. Power end up being a starter by the end of the season. So, I mean, he's one. Um, God, Drake I know May. I'm forgetting something. Uh, well, yeah, if he wins the quarterback job, um, you know, JJ Jones started to really play a lot more towards the end of the season. So I think he's a guy who they've realized they need to try to get him out there and get him some reps, get him comfortable. Nesbitt. Uh, yeah. Nesbitt, another guy who throughout the season started to see more and more time. So, um, so yeah, Andre green from this class, you know, I was talking to some sources and, and, the conversation was more about the transfer portal and UNC is definitely kind of looking at wide receivers, but probably won't mess with anyone just because they feel like 
Andre Green could be the answer to the outside receiver. That's a big gamble. Nothing against um, Andre Green. So if Andre Green Sr. is listening to this podcast also, um, you know, Andre Green Jr. is going to be an absolute stud at some point. But there is a huge jump up in talent than what he's used to playing against. And so it uh, might take him a little bit of time, but he has all the talent in the world. So maybe he does by the end of the season. Maybe he takes a similar trajectory as, uh, as Bryson Nesbitt this year. So, I mean, there's a few names out there. I know I'm forgetting someone and I'm going to get ripped for, but um, there's a th- few names that pop in my head. Thanks, what gets Gregory. me what, what gets me is, is people see uh, freshmen play for other teams and do well, and that translates into thinking, well, why doesn't it happen at Carolina a lot? Well, if you see one guy playing well for A&M or some team, well, Tony Grimes played as a high school senior for yes. Carolina and played a ton. That never happened. So it's not like the coaching staff doesn't play guys just because they're young. We've had that discussion, right, Greg, forever with Jason Staples is they're not ready. Yeah. And the coaching staff is, has proven that they'll play them if they feel like they can help them win, right? But Tony Grimes, too, though, is like a kid who for probably the year prior to enrolling in North Carolina, every minute of his day was focused on college preparation I mean, he was taking yoga classes in the middle of the school day he was doing all these different he had like like three trainers that he would work out with so he's a different case you know but he was one of the most polished players i've ever seen come out of high school josh downs another one but the opportunity wasn't there with him so but I, and i think just to, and i know you had a question for greg and I'm, I'm taking up all your guys time but um we we see these guys these true freshmen starting and making an impact to other teams. And yes, it definitely happens. Statistically speaking, it it doesn't happen as frequently as as we think. The reason why we hear about it is because it's noteworthy. You know, if it wasn't noteworthy, if it wasn't something that didn't really happen, we wouldn't hear about it as much. So of course they're going to make a big deal about it. And, you know, obviously, you know, each situation is different, but I'll I'll pass it off to Greg. Sorry, Greg, for taking your time. I think you're exactly right because I mean, uh, James Hurst is a good example. Five-star kid, I think he was top 40 in the country. Started from day one and you know, had a long career. I don't even know if he's still in the NFL, but he's with Baltimore for a long time. Um, had a, a, and people say, well, look, James did it. James was a very unique individual, like elite. You know, Dexter Lawrence is that way. Tony Grimes is that way. Um, for every every guy like that that can step in, you know, Curious Conley splashed a little bit last year, but he didn't play a ton. We know what kind of player he is, but for every guy like that that shows out early, you got a guy like Clyde Pender who was a four-star, and it just didn't work out for him. I mean, there was apparently no indication that it was going to get much better for him, so he went ahead and transferred. Um, and I mean, that happens. You're gonna you're gonna have some hits and some misses. Always go back to the fact that uh, two four seven. I don't remember exactly who did it, but a couple years ago, they looked at hit rates for for four and five-star guys, and like. Five stars for the NFL, half of them get drafted. Not first round, get drafted. Five stars, only half of them. That's crazy. Mm-hmm. So you, you, all these guys, I mean, as we, we've, we've talked about on this podcast before, the odds are that either Zach Rice or Travis Shaw is not going to pan out. Yeah, I think we absolutely. All think, I think yeah. we all think they both are, but what, what statistically pr- they won't. One project I want to do for a weekly scoop 
but Ben Sherman has been pushing back every time I bring it up is I would love to go back at all the classes and, and look at the hit rates. And so, you know, I got to really kind of do a good job of, of pitching it and pushing. Yeah, you're obviously not I, pitching good enough. Yeah. Because I think it would be very educational and that we can, you know, cause one of the things, you know, with what I do with the weekly scoop with, um, with, uh, the tracking the incoming freshmen or the, the current freshmen is because everyone thinks that freshmen play early and it just is statistically, it's just not proven. I got, I got a special guest here today. Come hey. in. Hey, what's up? <laughs> hey, how did the basketball game go last night? Uh, what you, it was Tuesday night. Tuesday um, night. she got 10 points fouled out again. And they lost. So. <laughs> hey, got to use all your fouls. Gotta at, least, at least make them count, right? Yeah, yeah. They're soft so. fouls. Yep. So. so the ACC Sports Journal, you know, when, when David Glenn was there, I mean, you know, Don probably, well, I'm, I'm sure he was doing it when you were with IC because we, we've been with IC for so long. But he used to do a five-year look back. Mm-hmm. And I, to this day, I think that's the best way to, to judge recruiting classes. Because yeah. he would say, okay, you know, five years ago, this team signed this recruiting class. He would look at all the ACC schools and say, well, this team may have had the number one class in the ACC five years ago, but right now we'd probably grade that class as fourth best. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you don't want to get away from all the excitement of signing day, obviously, because that's important. But I think it does add a unique uh, element. It's a, it's a unique perspective to kind of really accurately gauge some of these recruiting classes. And then also all this hand wringing that goes on with with these guys, you know, who signs, who you get, who you lose, and everything, it ends up not. It, I mean, it matters, but maybe not as much as people are getting angry about it, you know, because you know, as you said, there's a pretty good chance that one of either Zach or Tra- or yeah, Zach or Travis doesn't pan out. What gets me is they do this in the NFL where they have you know they do the redraft or whatever mm-hmm. after a year or two and they look at like where these guys should have been drafted. Those are NFL players. Yeah. Those are guys that have been picked and prodded and poked and evaluated and by everybody who Mm -hmm. there's, there's nothing there. There are no secrets, no unknowns and they shift all the time, Yeah, you know, and And the hit rate is even in the first round is not very good, especially with the amount of millions of dollars and manpower that, are being poured into each one of these picks. Yeah. And then you go back and look at the first round draft picks over the last 10 years. And there's plenty that you're like, I never heard of them. Don't know mm, who that is yeah. or whatever. <laughs> and those dudes. Yeah. And somebody made a good point, And I think this is something that we miss. Um, somebody said these guys not play in their high school, senior years or their junior years or whatever it is because of COVID and how mm-hmm. COVID's affected things. I think that's made a big difference as yeah. well. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it's an interesting discussion. But the coaches are going to play who they think can win. Now, you can disagree with the coaches, and Lord knows I've done it plenty of times, and we all do. But they're going to play who they think can help them. And it's not – you know, they're getting paid to do that. Anyway, Don, you can stay. But I'm going to take a break, and then we're going to talk basketball. So, Jason loves to talk basketball, so you're welcome to talk basketball. Well, I did watch the game the other night. Okay. But don't so. even don't even ask me who won because I couldn't tell you. No, I do know UNC won. Wow. So stick around. <laughs> oh, we okay. uh, I'll get I'll take notes. 
we will uh we will show you how it's done let me talk about johnny t-shirt johnny t-shirt.com you can get your gear there on franklin street you can also get it online at johnny t-shirt.com 20 percent. oh excuse me 10 percent off if you're an inside carolina premium subscriber i figure you're a little too close to christmas to get it by christmas but maybe you can try but you can definitely go see them on franklin street they support inside carolina they support this podcast and they are special folks alumni owned and operated they uh they they want to help you and they want to clothe you and provide gear and we need to support them do it let national guys pay the bills for the audio version we'll be right back on the beat live we got a full house hey guys this is ross martin from inside carolina and i want to talk to you about inside carolina's new podcast sponsor it's blue shark vodka blue shark vodka is a family-owned vodka company based out of wilmington and wrightsville north carolina it's available in all 100 counties. And the thing about Blue Shark Vodka is it's the smoothest vodka in the world. It's made with sweet North Carolina corn to create the world's smoothest vodka. It's been distilled four times and then mellowed for 28 days to create that full blooming and awaking flavor. Each batch is in triple filtered, giving it a smooth, clean finish and eliminates any of the alcohol bite. Guys, I've been using it recently with some soda water, fruit juice, little lime juice. It's great for tailgates. It's light. It's smooth, and it's an award-winning premium vodka from North Carolina, local and family-owned, and it's available, once again, in all 100 counties. So head to your local ABC store to check out Blue Shark Vodka. Introducing the Two-Way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the Two-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the Two-Way for yourself at newbalance.com eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. All right, we're back on the beat live. We're going to talk basketball now. These cross pods um, have always been fun and have always gone over well. So if you're watching on YouTube, drop some basketball uh, discussions. I'm going to bring in Kirsten here to talk basketball. Uh, Carolina. They play in Kentucky now. Does everybody agree that's a done deal? Greg, is that a done deal? Pretty close to being a done deal. I mean, yeah, they're still – last I heard, they were still kind of waiting on UCLA to finalize their decision, but everything's set up for, for Kentucky. Okay, so, Kirsten, how important is for Carolina to go out there to Vegas mm -hmm. and get a win? Because we've talked about the ACC is absolutely brutal. Kentucky's not as good as UCLA, um, but it's a name. 
what do you think about Carolina's chances and the importance of winning out there? Yeah, I think um, I think it's very important. Um, one, Hubert Davis has talked a lot about UNC being able to prove their wins this year. Um, I mean, they beat Michigan. They've lost to Tennessee. Um, I mean, we've had some close games against teams that we probably should have, you know, blown out, if you will. Um, so, I mean, I, yeah, I think this is super important for them to go up there and get a win. Um, chances, I'll be honest, I haven't seen a whole lot of Kentucky basketball this year, so I'm not sure what they're looking like. Um, I don't know if they've grown a lot since last year. I know we beat them last year around this time, but um, yeah, I'm not sure about the chances. I know with us, if we have to be consistent on defense, which we haven't been, we have to be consistent on offense, which we haven't been. Um, so I think it all just depends on consistency um, and who wants it more this game. So we'll see. But I think it's we definitely need this win to, to prove that UNC can keep up with big name teams. Greg, it's more about playing to the standard, right? I mean, even against Kentucky, even if it was UCLA, Carolina played to the standard against Michigan, especially in the second half. Um, they look really good against Michigan. I don't know how good Michigan is this year. Um, they've taken some lumps. Um, but against Furman, there was more it, – it was almost like – and against Elon especially, there were some of those wobbles that you saw earlier in the season. Um, they're still figuring it out. I do like how Hubert explained why he's so positive. You know, I thought that was a great question. I think you asked, and he discussed it. Um, but how does he get his guys to continue to play to the standard that is necessary for Carolina, this Carolina team to win games. Cause in the past they've been talented enough in 09, they could do whatever the hell they wanted to, and they're probably going to win. It's not like that anymore. Right. I think that's, that's one of the challenges that the Hubert has on his hands is because the last couple of years, I think you could really tell in, in hindsight with Roy's decision, he just wasn't able to really connect with the guys the way that he had been prior. And he, you know, over the years, he really talked about how he was so hard and mean and all those things early. He really had kind of had to soften up. He didn't want to coach out of fear anymore. And part of that's because of how your generations change and all those kind of things. But he, he struggled to really connect with, with some of these guys last year. And so Hubert has been working through, and I think the you know, first six games, he really struggled to kind of get his point across. There's a lot of – you can kind of sense some selfishness and the, the effort wasn't there. In, in certain spots. Um, but he did a good job over Thanksgiving week kind of getting them to connect and kind of figuring out what buttons to push. Uh, and so he hasn't gotten it completely figured out, but I think he's making the right steps. And this is going to be you – know, he's trying to figure out what works for him. It's going to take time. It's going to take years probably. Um, but he's made progress the last couple of weeks in really connecting with these guys. See, I think you're exactly right. I think it's a standard thing. Um, you know, Kentucky has actually has some veteran players this year. Um, I don't know how good they really are. I, I don't know why they're top 25 and Carolina's not. I don't think that's accurate. Um, I, I think they probably should be switched. But it's going to be, you know, it's one of those games that Kentucky comes out with their hair on fire. They certainly can win. And so Carolina has to play. That. We know they can score, but they have to show that effort defensively throughout. Um, and that's the main takeaway for a lot of these games coming up. You know, we can talk about the opponent all we want, but if they're not playing to how Hubert wants them to, the su success down the road is not going to happen. Um, and so 
it makes it simplistic, but I, I think that's where we are with this program right now. I, I think that's the most important thing. Against Furman on, what was it, Tuesday? Um, Greg, you mentioned it was some time in the second half you tweeted out from the IC account, too much dribbling by the guards. Um, and I think that speaks to kind of the standard as far as it looked like, I mean, UNC obviously was handling Furman there in the second half. Um, and I think you could kind of see that they knew that as well. And they were just trying to, they weren't really playing their normal game that they had been playing. Is that a, just like a one-time lull or is that kind of where pulling back in the leadership discussion that we had at the beginning, as far as preventing something like that? I think it's guys. We saw some last year too. Guys kind of get it in their head that they have to do certain things or they want to do certain things, and they let that kind of get into their psyche and they get away from the team concept. I mean, look at the last six minutes of the first half. North Carolina was killing Furman down low, as they should because they had such a big size advantage. And yet in the final six minutes, the bigs took two shots. And what happened during that stretch? Furman came back, took the lead. It was like a 9-0 run, wasn't it? Something like that, yeah. So, um yeah, and I think I think what you see is they came out of halftime and they were back to pounding the ball down low. That's how they got the big lead and were able to kind of coast. So when Hubert's reinforcing that idea, everybody's like, okay, we got it, we got it, we got it. And it's just a matter of sometimes they kind of fall back into kind of how they were. Um, and that's that's the job that Hubert has is he's got them trucking along, and then all of a sudden they just kind of take a break. And I, I think it's frustrating um i'm sure it's frustrating i know it's frustrating as fans and media watching but i'm sure it's frustrating for the coach being like okay we're doing exactly what we need to be wait a minute what are we doing right um and that's just the that's just the reinforcing of ideals that has to take place kirsten we've talked about this before um with the tight rotation but i'm curious on your thoughts because Furman put in their bench warmers while they were losing before unc did on tuesday right um, you're talking about the second half end of the game. Yeah, just like, what are your thoughts on Hubert's tight rotation so far? Because it's really been, unless a guy gets in foul trouble, it's really been seven seven players. Yeah, um, I don't know. I mean, it's it's yeah. He has he doesn't really. I mean, what in the, maybe a few games he's played the bench in like the last minute or forty seconds of the game. Um, I think it's been twice. We talked to him about it. Yeah. Um, even like the freshman Dontrez Styles and um, the other guy's name is escaping me right now, but um, he doesn't even, yeah, DeMarco Dunn, he doesn't even play them as much. Um, I, I, I don't know. I think, um, I mean, I mean, I guess he's set on who he likes to have play and, and maybe he's just trying to get them to get a feel of what it's like to play with each other. But um yeah, he doesn't really switch up too much when it comes to lineup. So I'm, I'm not sure why. Like I said, maybe it's just because he wants to get get it set in stone. This is how these are how these guys play with each other. He doesn't want to mess that up. But I'm not sure why he doesn't really switch it up too much. I think she's right. I think that's that's probably what it is. It's just a matter of building confidence in that core set, and then from there you can expand. Looking at the stats, um, I can honestly say, looking at these stats, they are foreign to me and as far as looking at Carolina basketball, especially during the Roy Williams era. I was about to bring Don in. I wanted, I yeah, wanted I was to gonna hear. say Don Don, so what do you think 
the importance of building depth on the basketball court is um, when you've got a player that likes to foul and can foul out <laughs> a lot, what, what is the importance? <laughs> it's very important. I oh. know someone who likes to foul out. <laughs> uh, but I mean, look, you don't cover the team. You cover football recruiting. Yeah. But watching Carolina basketball, give us your take. Come on. Yeah. So, um, well, I don't watch, I watch one game. Um, but one of the things that Mac Brown has brought up, just to kind of complete the, tr- the crossover, is that UNC, the football team, hasn't been ahead a lot this past season. And that has prevented him from throwing in some of his backups, which he would like to do, which gives them, you know, obviously experience if someone goes down and then also for upcoming, you know, the upcoming seasons. And so obviously if the basketball team is, if they get a a significant lead to where you feel comfortable, then yeah, you want to get those guys in there for the reasons of injuries. And then, you know, the younger guys in particular for the future seasons. Look, there he is. I mean, Don Callahan with the com- completing the crossover step back. And that's it, absolutely if right. you know one sport, you know them all, right, Don? That's yeah, right. I think They're his daughter's off camera feeding him information. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, that, you know, if you look at the stat sheet and I'm looking at it, you got uh, Caleb Love averages 33.6 minutes. Uh, Kerwin's at 18.2, which doesn't seem like it. Because it seems like Kerwin's rarely out there. It seems like Anthony Harris is out there more. But he's at 9.6. So you have those guys over 10. And then nobody else. Justin McCoy is down at 6. You mentioned, the Gregory, you mentioned bringing in the subs at the end of the Furman game. I noticed against Michigan, even against Michigan, Juwan Howard called the dogs off and put his walk-ons into the bench guys in. And Carolina still had their starters out there. Basically, so that was a, a new thing, Greg. It continues to be Hubert's forcing chemistry, which has paid off in the last, you know, couple weeks, three weeks. Um, but also, I think to Sherelle's point that Sherelle makes a lot the need to win now with these guys because let's be honest, the top, what is that? One, two, three, four, five, six. The top eight that I'm looking at right here, six of them are not going to be there and possibly seven next year. He's got to win now, and he's playing like that, right, Greg? Yes, and the other component of this that that uh, is just wild to me is how bad the ACC is. Now, why does that matter? Well, North Carolina currently is 0-2 against Q1 teams, and we know that the way the NCAA selection committee, the tournament selection committee, looks at things is they really place an emphasis on the net, um, and they, they look at Q1 wins and losses, and they also look at Q3 and Q4 losses because those are bad losses that nobody wants. Um, North Carolina is 0-2 against Q1, and if they're not able to play against UCLA on Saturday uh, and have to be replaced, you know, UCLA, I'm just looking here, uh, they're not as high as I thought in, in terms of – yeah, they're 22nd in net. So because that's a neutral site game, that would count as a Q1 if Carolina was able to win it. Um, Kentucky is 51. So that's, I don't think for a neutral site game right now, that would count as a, as a Q1 win. Projecting ahead, Carolina would only have six more Q1 opportunities, and only the Duke game at home is the one at the Smith Center that they could count on. Um, so you're going to have to go on the road in the ACC and 
win against Wake, win against Virginia Tech, um, you win against State, you know, win at Louisville. All these games were very important for you to be able to build your resume. Uh, and I didn't expect the ACC to to be as bad as they've been thus far. But I mean, we're we're at a point now where some of these games will be bad losses if North Carolina loses them, and we've. I can, very few times in, in recent memory have we been able to say, well, we got to watch out for Pitt because they're a Q4 loss. Well, Pitt this year would be a Q4 loss. Boston College would be a Q3 loss because that game's on the road. Um, and so I, I do think it's important for him to get this team operating at a high clip. And what some would say, and I think we've seen it with Duke, when you place such a short lineup, um, they tend to gel quicker. The problem with that is, is that you peak quicker. How many times have we seen Duke play lights out like in January and then they stumble in March? Um, so that's I – don't, I don't know exactly how you balance that. So Hubert's going to have to figure that out. That's one of the concerns there. But the importance of winnings is, is there because they cannot have some setbacks. And if you lose a couple of these bad games in the ACC, that can really hurt your resume. You mentioned that is the, yeah, but the only – team on Ken Palm with a negative adjusted efficiency measure. <laughs> hey, Capel can coach. Uh, when you look at Carolina's year, this is not the year to go 18 and 14 and get in the NCAA tournament. Yep. It ain't happening this year. And, and that's why I mentioned earlier uh, that beating Kentucky um, is important, even though they're not a Q1 win. Let's look at Carolina thus far. What are we, 10 games in? 10 games yes. in. Uh, who's the MVP of this team? Let's go around the room. Uh, it's not the same as on the YouTube channel, but on my screen, Gregory, you're number one. Who's the MVP? Um, Caleb Love, right? I'm going Caleb Love just because, I mean, we knew it couldn't get worse from last year since he's shooting numbers were some of the worst we've ever seen from a starting power five point guard. Um, but I didn't think he was going to be shooting over 40% from three. And I definitely think he was going to be making 27 footers, 30 footers. I don't I don't know the distance on the three point line, but I think 27 feet is farther than the actual line. Um, I mean, his rate, quite the uh, lengthy three point shot. That would be from the mountains. How long is the three point line? 21, nine, I think. Oh, okay. 25 footers. I didn't think he was going to be making those. Um, it's been impressive. And, Yes, he still has his what-are-you-doing moments. Um, but, no, nah, he's been spectacular. I think he's he's the MVP, in my opinion. Kirsten. I'm between Love and Davis right now. And because Gregory said Love, and because of some of those what-are-you-doing moments, I'm going to have to go with R.J. Davis. I can't disagree with either one of those. Looking at the stats, the fact that – Baycott and Caleb Love have the same number of foul shot attempts. That's interesting to me. That, Who's that speak think... more to? Well, I mean, Baycott can't pass it to himself. So I guess that speaks to who gives him the ball. Greg, who's who's the MVP thus far? Yeah, I, I don't think there's really any question. Um, I, I think it's Ramonda Baycott. We've seen, I mean, we've seen stretches where if he's not in the game, Carolina loses that that post option because neither Brady nor Dawson really have a back to the basket game. They do a lot of other things well, but you lose that component. 
Um, and that's given North Carolina problems at times. When, when Carolina has played their best, it's when they're kind of feeding, feeding Armando. Now, can he do a better job passing out? Yeah. Can he do a little bit better job being more assertive and establishing a better position? Yes. But when he's on, uh, he's by far the best player on the court. And um, I, I think if North Carolina is able to make a run, he's going to have to be a, a really significant stud for them inside. And he did that late last year. That's why Carolina played well. And then we've seen him some games do it this year, and I think that has to continue. Don, wake up. Who's the MVP of this team 10 games in? I'm going to say Armando Baycott because um, someone asked me a question about him in an email, and I didn't know who that was. But <laughs> So I educated myself, and uh, he had a good game the other night. So, yeah. This is fantastic. Let me ask you a question. question. What was the question in the email? Well, the question was actually a football question, but they compared – oh, no, no, it was actually a top five. Top five, and they compared uh, one of the recruits' situations to Baycott's situation. And so, you yeah. were like, I don't think Baycott plays football. I'm like, I don't know. Does he like, – Who's know, that guy? Yeah, who's that? <laughs> what position in football does he play? Let me ask you a question that you might can answer. Don, uh, could the Philadelphia – uh, hockey team beat Carolina in basketball, and who has the better mascot? Better mascot is definitely the Flyers. You didn't even know that that uh, the Philadelphia team was the Flyers. Um, I did. I just didn't want to say it wrong. I know it's the <laughs> Flyers. I, I follow hockey somewhat. Yeah. Not as much as you follow Carolina basketball. <laughs> <laughs> um, and could – what was the other question? Could – who has better – could the hockey team beat Carolina in basketball? Uh, who has more? Who has more teeth, the Philadelphia <laughs> Flyers or the West Virginia football team? Um, I don't know if I should answer that question. <laughs> <laughs> it's all fun. You Sorry guys to just, all the West Virginia fans. You guys just want to get me in trouble. You don't understand the trouble I, I'm already in. No one knows the trouble you know. I think the MVP of this team is Caleb Love. Uh, I mean, thus far. And, and to the point Gregory made, this guy was not good last year. He struggled mightily. I mean, he would freely admit, but he worked his butt off in the offseason. And if last, you can't look at last season and think it's even the same person other than it's the same person out there. I mean, he is just so much better. He's so much more effective. He had some good games last year, um, but his play uh, in the big games and the shots he's made, is just unbelievable. I mean, what did he shoot from three last year, Greg? 21%? 23, I think. Yeah. I mean. How much, Tommy, does that speak to Kirsten's point um, about RJ? Because RJ is kind of taking over lead point guard role. That's a good which point. It's allowed Caleb to play off the ball. And granted, he's still, he's playing with better control. But I think – I think a lot of his question, the decision to play both those guys so much at the same time. And I, I, I think it's still uh, a risky move just in terms of North Carolina does not have a, a third point guard. Uh, which A know, legitimate third point guard. Right. So when you get – when you get – start playing consistently better teams, you know, could that be a problem? It remains to be seen. Um, but I think that, that part of it has helped Caleb as well. Speaking of third point guard – um, cause I guess it's what leaky black at this point, um, yep. looking at Ken Palm, 
and looking at the player page. Um, he's got major contributors. This is based on like percentage of possessions used. Major contributors, significant contributors, limited roles, and then nearly invisible. Dawson Garcia is a major contributor with uh, getting over 24, getting 24%, being used on 24% of possessions. That he plays, yeah. That he, that he yeah. Leaky Black is used on 10% of possessions when he's on the floor. And he's got the highest offensive rating on the team because of that. It's remarkable. It's, 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 it's purely remarkable, in my opinion, based on the amount of minutes he has on the floor, his efficiency rating, and then he's just completely doing his job. It's, I mean, when we talk about roles, I mean, he's not even in the role players list here. He's on the nearly invisible section, and he's extremely important to this team. He's not MVP, but he's extremely important to this team. And that's the lowest usage rate in his career. It's never been high, but what he's at right now is, is the lowest in terms of. And how much better does he look this year than he has in his first three? See, we can have a long discussion about that, Tommy. Well, let's have it. Well, uh, you you know, you've got – we've got Bryce Johnson marker that – he started to be really good his junior year, but his senior year he blew up. Kennedy Meeks, his senior year he blew up. They blew up because they were – their offensive game came around and they became – they were able to do more than just score. And if they didn't score, they still produced as seniors. Whereas early in their career, if they didn't score, they gave you nothing. Leaky – is not scoring as much, but he's giving them more. So you tell me why he's not. I think he, I think Leakey is in the Bryce Johnson, Kennedy Meeks category of you are what you are, but you aren't if you're Leakey Black because he's been, I think he's been great. And in fact, I'm not so sure he's not the MVP this year. I think Leakey's been great too. I think. I don't like the fact that Leakey's gotten as much heat as he's gotten throughout his career. I think he's a very versatile player. I, I disagree with the, the Kennedy-Bryce line because I, I, I agree with you that those guys took significant steps. I don't know that Leakey really has. I think what we're seeing is he is finally on a team that has a really good offense, and so they don't need him. Like, he had to take some shots last year because nobody could score. Um. And so because they were struggling so much to score, it made his struggles on the offensive end more glaring. Now nobody needs him to score. And so he can just kind of do his thing. And, you know, he has an open shot and he doesn't take it. People just kind of laugh it off because they, they're not worried about scoring like maybe they were the last two years. Uh, I think that's more of it. I think he's always been a good defensive player. I think he's always been kind of a good leader. Um, he does seem to have a little bit more confidence which allows him to make, make a bigger impact on defense, but also they, you know, he doesn't have as, as many good defensive players around him as he's had in recent years. Uh, so that makes him pop a little bit more. But that's, that's my opinion on it. But, yeah, I, I agree with you. I, I think he's had a great year and uh, it's a good story for sure. So, so his, his perceived improvement is not really improvement. He is what he's always been. It's just the guys around him. Right. The, the makeup around him looks better for him. That's, I, I can take that. I can understand that. I just think that he is playing more free. He looks like a guy that is 
um, comfortable doing what he does. And look, when you've got guys that take the heat off you and you can just do your thing, it, it makes a gigantic difference. And I think that's what we're seeing with Leakey. Somebody asked on the message board, or excuse me, on the YouTube chat, and I'll, I'll ask the question here. Kirsten, I'll start with you. Which which player can Carolina afford to lose for a game or two, Baycott or Love? What do you think? I'm going to go. This yeah. is deep thought now. This, this is rapid fire Baycott deep thoughts. <laughs> I'm going to go. I'm going to say Love. I. I think I don't think UNC can afford to to miss a big. I don't think. Like, I think Armando gives them too much in the paint right now for them to miss out. And I think even though it would hurt them to lose love, you do still have guys like RJ Davis. You have guys that can spread the floor like Garcia, like Manic, um, that can you know score inside and outside. But I don't think you, UNC can afford to lose someone like Baycott in the paint who can play with their back to the ball um, or excuse me, back to the goal. Um, I don't think UNC can afford that. So I'm going to go Baycott. He stole my answer. I did. That's the answer. I think I, I, don't think, the... I don't think there's a world where you can say um, yeah. can't afford to lose. I mean, Baycott. the answer is neither, right? But that's that's not being fair to the question. So what, what mm-hmm. Kirsten says exactly, is exactly right. Baycott has to stay on the floor. And I've said that. I've tweeted that during games. This Carolina team is – tragically different without Baycott on the floor whether he's scoring or not he yeah because um we can talk about Dawson Garcia's versatility on the defensive end Brady Mannix not going to be um a a power defender uh, down there he's just not I mean he can he can step in for a minute but Baycott provides something that there's nobody else on the roster Greg and that's what's crazy two years ago it's two years ago last year it was last year it was last year. Carolina had four seven-footers, 6'11", seven-footers, that you could get something out of. Now they've got one. And, and I said this before, Baycott can get points back. They can't get fouls back. He has got to keep his hands off, especially outside. So is is, is he the MVP of this team? Is he the most, most important piece of this team, Greg? You know, probably – um, how, how important would it be to have Wes Miller? Uh, the other Miller, Walker Miller. Sorry. Yes. I was about to say, we switched <laughs> to a coaching question here. Oh, Lord. Wait, wait, oh, wait, 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 wait I'll cut that it social up. media right. and I'll just right. post a right. video See of Greg. Y'all. How important would it be to have really. Wes Miller? That was not a rumor, folks. That was Greg <laughs> misspeaking. Yes, um, Walker Miller. Excuse me. But how, how you, if you just have a guy like Walker, we, we've seen what he's done this year. But just to come in and you, if Baycott gets into foul trouble or something, to have a guy like that to give in and just give you five or ten minutes, I mean, that would be a game changer for this team. Um, but. He's averaging 14 points and seven rebounds in 32 minutes. Great. Good, Good for him. him. He would. Uh, there was another White Walker, and that's a, that's a reference <laughs> – to Game of Thrones. That's not some sort of weird yeah, yeah, statement. Yeah. So you know what I mean. But the, my ears perked up. Do you like Game of Thrones? I mean, I did. I mean, I haven't watched it. Yeah, but I was a fan when I when it was on. It was a great show. Didn't like it. It is a great season, show. But 
so so is Baycott my MVP? Somebody asked. I think maybe so. But I, even though I think most important and MVP are two different things. Um, so what can Carolina accomplish here in, in the next uh, both Saturday and in the coming weeks when they play Virginia Tech is the 29th? Is that right? App State next week. Yeah. Have So you got, I guess, Kentucky, App State, Virginia Tech before getting into the new year. What's necessary for this team and Hubert Davis to accomplish, Kirsten, in the next two weeks? Ideally, go 3-0 um, and win all three of these games. Um, I think it's possible, again, if they play to that standard. Um, I haven't seen all these teams, so I don't know what they look like, but I think UNC has shown that they can compete against anybody at this point. Um, so yeah, as long as they play to that standard, I think they can. I think we need it. Um, so yeah, that's what I think. Gregory, what's, what's, I mean, we keep talking about depth. Is, is it really necessary? It's pretty clear 10 games in that the rotation wow. is what it is. Is depth necessary? I guess not. Um, but I mean, as, I mean, to a certain point, it's you. I mean, you have to have it just in case, like when Leakey got in foul trouble and then Anthony Harris came in, right? Things like that. Um, so, I mean, you need to be able to play more than five guys, which they can. But as far as um, the immediate future here, these next three games, um, I think it goes back to what I was talking about earlier with avoiding lulls to where you're not doing what you had been doing in just in previous moments of the game, right? Staying within the game that you know that you should be playing um, an ACC play that can get, as they kind of go through, that can be hard, easier said than done. Um, Cause you kind of get lost and just, I mean, the intensity of all of these games, but the ACC is not that good. So I think it's even more important Um I think what Kim Palm has them projected 13 and seven in ACC play right now. Um, I don't think that's good enough considering where the talent on this team um, and what they, they can accomplish. And I think to do that, it's going to keep the defensive intensity because what we talked about before the Thanksgiving break, right after Connecticut and how bad that was and what the team needed to do, the changes that needed to be made, those changes were made. So now it's about, continuing that forwards and i think you can do that and finish 2021 and then they're sitting at 11 and 2 um which not many of us when we talked about our predictions through the year had us had them sitting at 11 and 2 right um greg you had them losing either georgia tech or virginia tech which could still happen right they still have to play virginia tech um virginia tech has been very very up and down i mean didn't they lose to notre dame by well, 20 or their last six. Right. Um, but has somebody gotten hurt or are they just losing? No, games? they're just, they're just not. A bit. So that, I mean, with the way the ACC is lined up is you're going to get a team that might not be good because they've struggled, but they can still give you a tough game. Um, and so UNC just needs to stay focused and prevent those lulls, like I said. So that's kind of what needs to happen. And I think that's where someone needs to step up and be like, look, guys, this is what it's going to be like. This is what we can't do. Greg, we're an hour close to an hour and a half in. What what does Hubert Davis need to accomplish in these next two weeks leading into the new year? I mean, you got Virginia Tech. I think Tate Frazier, if I'm not mistaken, when we had him on last week, week four, said he thought Virginia Tech was the best team in the conference. He did and, say that. Uh, and 
they promptly have lost four of six. So good, good call, Tate. Um, <laughs> remind me not to bet your money lines. Uh, well, he had good reason to say that because you look at their lineup. I mean, they returned basically everybody. They got Storm Murphy in. Um, I mean, it's a really good looking lineup, but just for whatever reason, they they have not put it together here in the early part of the season. Does and I'm gonna ask this question. I've asked it already, but is I got a bad feeling watching this team play seven guys. Um, and I know we used to give Roy Williams hell for playing too many, but I, I just don't think seven is sustainable, Greg. Um, even with a bad ACC, now he may get away with it this year, and if he does, great. But I, I just think there's going to come a time where something happens and they need more than seven or eight. Um, it, your thoughts on that? I, I mean – it is what it is. We've talked about it a lot, the need to win now and all that stuff. But it, it just seems like it is walking a, a thin line that maybe is not necessarily needed to be walked. Yeah, two things here. One, I think your comment about Roy is spot on. I mean, it seemed like for especially the last four or five years, we were like in, in damage control on this podcast in November and December because we were telling people, Look, like he's he's going to play nine or ten guys. He wants to see who can help him. Yes, they may lose a couple games because of it. It's just what he does. We may get to a point where we're saying the same thing about Hubert and how he manages. We we won't know. Um, the other thing, though, is I really thought, and I still think, that the way the roster is set up, he could get really creative with, with matching other teams. Like, if you're playing a team that's really good offensively but struggles defensively, I mean, you could put a lineup out there with, with Caleb and Anthony Harris and Leaky Black and maybe even Justin McCoy at the four and then Armando at the five. Now, that team, that lineup may not score a ton of points, but they would be really good defensively. And on the flip side, if you're playing a team like maybe Clemson, who's really good defensively but can never score – you maybe you go with Caleb and RJ and Kerwin as your primary uh, guards, and then you could even, I mean, not even Baycott. You could put Manic and Garcia in there for key stretches. I mean, those guys could score in bunches. Uh, but we haven't seen any suggestion that he's interested in doing that. And so I think, uh, I think more than anything, that's kind of where it's lacking. Is you, there's some opportunities for some unique things that he just hasn't shown a, a desire to do for whatever reason. And so. Um, it remains to be seen, but yeah, you you would like to see, especially Kerwin, to be able to give it, be given time to work through his issues. I still think he's probably the best pure scorer on this team, and so you would like for him to be feeling pretty good about himself as you get in the ACC play. And I just don't think he's seen enough minutes right now to be able to get into that kind of mindset. Yeah, I wanted to add that to my answer to the question: Was Hubert Davis need to do the next two weeks? Is get Kerwin to be Kerwin again? Um, and How I do think- you do that though? I mean, I don't, what do you do? Give him 20 minutes? No, I think it's a behind-the-scenes thing at this point, um, something I'd that we might not be able to see. It's definitely increasing his minutes, um, but something's going on because um, when he's out there, he doesn't look – he just doesn't look like where he knows where he needs to be, which was kind of the, some of the issues with other guys last year, right? We, we talked last year. It's like, I mean, you've got two guys running the same spot on the floor sometimes. That's kind of what I've seen with Kerwin, and I think it might be a um, behind-the-scenes type of deal to get him more comfortable and then increasing his minutes. But I think that needs to be accomplished, like Greg just said. 
I was going to ask, do we think it has anything to do with Hubert's, Hubert Davis' system, like the way he just runs his offense? Or Because, I mean, with Kerwin, it's pretty much – I mean, we've seen him try, but he can't really create his own shot right now, or he struggles to create his own shot, and it's kind of just he's a set-up shooter, but I don't feel like he's been – there hasn't been a lot of situations on offense where he's been wide open for, you know, someone to kick and he shoots. So, I mean, do you think it's the offense or – well, that's why I don't know because Brady Manning can't create his own shot. But, he but he's 6'9", and he's 6'9", 6'10", and he can shoot over people. Sure. Um, and Dawson's the same way on threes. But if they – I mean, they can catch and shoot, so why can't Kerwin get to spots to catch and shoot? That's how but, I view it. I think it's separation value. What would you say, Greg? That's, that's I think a fancy separation word. value. Um, Go there. So we've talked about leaky, right? We, we know this team can score where they've struggled as defense. So there is, a, there is a desire and a desperate need for a really good defender. I mean, that's perfect for leaky, right? I don't need to score. I can be a really good defensive player. Boom, there's my role. Kerwin last year had to be on the court because he was the only guy that could score. Well, this year there's a lot of guys that can score. He's not a good defender. And so you lose that value of you know, creating a role for yourself. I, I think Kirsten's right that some of it is that the offense is a little bit more unique. And so uh, you know, guys that can create are going to have better success. Yeah, Manic's not that way, but Manic's a big guy. And so because he's got guys that are having a tough time guarding him, that makes it easier for him on the perimeter. That's not the case with Kerwin. And so I think it's just a couple of those things. It's not like it's a, a schematic issue. Um, I think maybe the, the need to have to create on your own is a little bit part of it. But I, I really think it's just a matter of Anthony Harris is getting more opportunities than Kerwin, really. And we know Kerwin's a significantly better scorer. So why is Anthony playing so much? It's because he brings defense. And I think that's the main thing. Don, what uh, do you think? Yeah, Don, they want to know what Donnie Scoops thinks about. I am. The, the Flyers are in overtime. So that's my, my focus right now. Okay. <laughs> So, uh, so yeah, y'all wanted Don's response. It's about the Flyers and that daggone Gumby-looking, orange Gumby-looking mascot. Oh, Gumby. Hey, don't make me cuss. That's a great <laughs> – Gumby's not a not a, a detriment. I, I think with Kerwin, when, when I see him out there, I don't – I'm always – I remember J.J. Reddick, and people are going to hate that, but did J.J. Reddick ever stop running off screens? Ever? No. I mean, the dude ran off more screens and I mean, to be honest, and he's made a ton of money in the league. He was kind of like Steph Curry where he's just constantly running off screens, getting open. Kerwin doesn't do that. I haven't yeah. seen him do that. Yeah, but it was Reddick and then Sheldon Williams. And that was basically all of Duke's offense. And I, I just, I think there's too many other options for, and Hubert said, he's got to set more plays, but that gets into kind of what Kirsten's talking about with the offense. Like if you're having to call set plays for guys time and time again, you lose the ability for people to create on their own. And I think that's part of it. If you can, you know, Caleb and RJ can just kind of free flow and, and do the freelance offense that Roy always liked. Uh, Kerwin can't do that as much. So you've got to create opportunities for him. And a lot of those screens for JJ were set plays. They just did them so many times. It looked like it was just a natural part of the offense, but all that was designed to get him looks. Yeah, and I think Kerwin's a, is a, is a war thing, and that's wins over replacement. And his is points over replacement. I mean, if he's going to score ten and give up twelve, 
then you play somebody else that's that's going to hold him down. So he'll get it, you know. But Hubert's going to win now. Let's go. Let's wrap this one up. We're we're over an hour and a half. Um, we'll have another show next week, right before Christmas. But Don, I want to know your Christmas list. Oh man, I need your Christmas list, both uh, related to what we're discussing with sports and also unrelated. What's the big ticket item for you personally? What's the big ticket item um, for Carolina football this offseason? Carolina football. Um, I think an offensive line to protect whoever is the quarterback next year. You know, um, obviously some things can shift around based off of who leaves the team, who stays and that sort of thing. And then just to find some sort of great combination with the defense. I, I think that there's a ton of talent on the roster, on the defensive side of the ball. And I think maybe one of the, one of the issues is trying to piece together that talent. Um, and person, I'm not, I'm not a big gift person. So I have told my wife, I know that she purchased something from Best Buy for for $130, <laughs> even though I did not, um, I told her not to. Um, I mean, but, you're like uh, searching her. Do you, do you monitor the credit cards or what? I, I, mean, what I, is- am, the, I am the financial figure in my household. So um, It's the Soviet Union over there. <laughs> I told her no gifts for Don. I do not want any gifts. If I want something, I go and get it. I'm not a big gift person, but uh, but I am excited for my wife for her Christmas because I don't think she's listening to this, um, but she kind of knows already. We, we're getting an outdoor projector for our fire pit sort of thing. So I'm psyched because I actually, even though it's a gift for her, it's one of those like partial gifts, like gift for her, gift for me, because then, you know, I got right. tired, of, I'm tired of bringing out the TVs to watch games. Nice. So, so you're going, you, it's kind of like buying your wife a frying pan. Yeah, she's gonna use it to cook something for you. So you or hit me with it, but yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I can't speak to that. Actually, (laughs) I'm buying a frying pan tomorrow. So, (laughs) but yeah, so party at Don's house to watch football. As long as it's not Philadelphia Flyer hockey, we'll. we'll I invite Tommy over. All Tommy and Greg. Greg's actually worse than Tommy. Greg's never been in my house, and Greg lives like probably walking distance. I've been to your house before, haven't I? You have not, not this. Not if you have them. to ask, if you have, yeah, to that's ask, a classic yeah. deflection. Yeah, I've been there, right? <laughs> no, my, my, true. My, I'm pretty sure I have, though. Yeah, no, not, not this house. And you, you <laughs> live what you live behind Target, right? Right. I live about two miles from you. Yeah. 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 He lives in the gated community back there. <laughs> they don't allow me in that community. That's why he has to come to my house. <laughs> Gregory, you're at the top of my uh, screen. What's, what's, what's the Carolina wish list in the offseason for football or current basketball? And what's your personal wish list? Um, for football, let's figure out who your quarterback's going to be um, sooner rather than later. Whether or not it's public knowledge, it doesn't need to be public. We don't need to know, but they need to know. They can't. I just two quarterback system. I just, oh, that would drive me crazy personally. And I know it would drive the fan base crazy. And I know it would drive Matt crazy as well. Um, even though he said before that he's been okay with two quarterbacks. Um, so that's, that's my Carolina football Christmas wish list. Basketball, um, it's just minimize the lulls, minimize the times when you're like, what the heck is going on? Um, if you play tough and you lose, you play tough and you lose, um, but I minimize that. And for myself personally, um, I needed a new pair of like over ear headphones for work and for 
pleasure. Um, when I'm like in the Zoom calls after games, it's like constantly going in and out, and I can only hear half the time. So that's on my personal personal wish list. Yeah, I call Uncle Buck for Sony's. that. Yeah, you need to call. Yeah, but like I don't know the Presidente. Are you going to be in Charlotte, by the way? I don't know yet. We're trying to figure. We're still waiting to hear about credentials. No, you don't need a credential. You need to be in Charlotte because we might have some breaking news about Inside Carolina Live in Charlotte at some point. Also, speaking of Inside Carolina Live, I wanted to tease that um, January 8th, if you don't listen to the radio show, you're missing out, first of all. But the plan is January 8th to add a video component like we do with this. So if you don't like listening to the radio, you can watch YouTube Live. You can see Tommy and Joey and myself in the studio. Saturday mornings starting January 8th. And we got to increase the cool factor. We're going to have to get Kirsten to come in um, on Inside Carolina Live on Saturday mornings. Ms. Clark, what's your uh, Christmas list for Carolina football, Carolina basketball, and personally? Carolina football, two things. Figure out QB1. Um, and it is what it is. We need to know. Um, second one, offseason, I need them to work really hard on this defense. So it's clean, solid come actual season. Come on to basketball. Um, if they can beat Kentucky, that's the last game, I think, before Christmas, um, I'll be happy. Um, and I hope it's a solid, clean beat. Again, not a lot of inconsistency. Don't want it down to the wire. Just a solid win against Kentucky. I'll be happy. Um, and my personal, um, this has been great, and I want to come back on the podcast, but I feel a little bit left out because everybody's got these cool – headsets with the mic and i'm over here with airpods yeah so, talk to uncle buck um, we can make that happen. yeah so no, if look, I this, look, <laughs> look you see four dorks on the screen let's be honest <laughs> so uh yeah so, we can arrange it but buck hooks up the guests so whatever yeah. you need yeah so i want to be in the cool headphone podcast squad um, is actually i think it's more of a pain like especially if it's a long podcast i wish we didn't i just didn't do have your this. ears hurt don my ears do hurt. Oh, you got them big old ears anyway. Um, <laughs> I like it because I can move and I can like mess around and it's still got a mic here. Um, yeah. Because when I used to have the standalone mic, I'd get fussed at because nobody could. Uh, I, I mean, when it. I had mine, I was constantly getting yelled at yeah. for the sound I had, stuff. So. Yeah. That's, I mean, I have, I have one of those and I prefer to use that, but I was told strictly not to. Yeah. You might want to monitor the uh, YouTube chat there, Gregory. Uh, Greg Barnes. What should Jay Bateman, Phil Longo, and Mac Brown be wishing for for Christmas? What should Hubert Davis and his staff be wishing for for Christmas? And what what do you get for somebody that has it all in the Barnes household? Yeah. Um, you can't say about... I wish for a short game or a putter because you got yeah, all that's, that. That's about it. I, I'm kind of like Don. <laughs> like I'm at this my, this point in my life, I want to make sure the the wife and the kids have everything they want because if they're happy, then typically I'm happy. So it's, uh, <laughs> it's, it's very easy for me. Um, you know, trying to, I tell you, I've been married for, Oh Lord. Um, you better 18 get it years. Right. This 18 is years. 18 years. Yeah. Wow. So trying to find a, a gift that, um, that is a surprise is always a challenge. So that's, that's kind of the, the difficult thing this time of year. Um, I, I think for, for Mac and the football team, this needs to be an off season of development. You know, we can talk about recruiting. It makes people feel good. 
Uh, we can talk about wins and losses. But for this program to take the next step, there needs to be a significant, uh, significant growth in the development phase. We need to see guys in September who look different physically but play different uh, with more aggression, smarter, um, being in the right spots. All those things need to improve for this program to move forward. So I think this is the offseason to do that. I think that's the critical thing. And then you know, basketball-wise, um, I think Hubert's got to keep recruiting. We knew that he had talent in, in place for this year, and they're going to have a pretty good year. What, what is a good year? I mean, you know, we'll figure that out in the months to come. Um, I've always thought kind of a sweet 16 would be great for this team as an accomplishment. Uh, but keep recruiting well because you're going to lose a lot of guys off this team, and that sets you up for years to come. If you, if you can't replace the guys you've got, that's going to make this a, a longer, bumpier road for Hubert. So I think the recruiting angle is most important for him. Kenny Pickett skipping the Peach Bowl. And Kenneth Walker. I wonder well, Kenny will Pickett's Pitt... going to be the new starting quarterback in Pittsburgh. So Pittsburgh Steelers. Yeah, he's good, and he, uh, he, he, yeah, I mean, he plays in the same building, so he might as well. But that's interesting. It'll be interesting to see if the twenty-five Pittsburgh Panther football fans um, freak out on opt-outs it, it, as much as Carolina fans did last year. Um, it worked out well for a guy like Javante Williams. This has been fun. Don, you know, I invited you and you showed up. So I guess I need to return the favor whenever Yeah, what happened with me. Ross? He was here for five minutes and left and didn't even that say is, bye. That is classic Ross. <laughs> right it's classic Ross. If, if, if anybody knows Ross Martin, that's him <laughs> in a nutshell in these last uh, last hour and a half. Talking to us on his phone with like like some woman yelling in the background. <laughs> yeah, you know, so, that's, that's Ross. Yeah, that he had the blue Ross. shark flowing. Yeah, so speaking of Blue Shark, uh, for the bowl game, we hope to be in a parking lot near um, Panther Stadium or Bank of America Stadium having Inside Carolina Live. It'll be an early one, I guess, 8.30 in the morning to, to what, 8.30 to 10.30 in the morning before 11.30 game. So, uh, yeah, Gregory, your, your uh, attendance has been requested Kirsten, you need to come by the tailgate and hang out with us. I do. I do. And so we can make it all happen. Greg Barnes, I saw your news and what you're up to. So you got no excuses. You need to be, you need to be at Graham street. So it should be a fun time. Don, I know you'll be watching a hockey game somewhere. (laughs) So uh, I I mean, it's a bowl game. So I'll definitely be watching. I mean, it's Carolina. So I'll be watching, but uh, I don't miss very many bowl games. I'm, yeah, I'm excited for tomorrow. You're, you're stoked about the Toledo Middle Tennessee game. I, I am stoked. Do you bet Noon. on all of these bowl games or something? I'm the not going to comment on that. Hey, look, there's a there's only one way you can buy question. a sweater like that. Um, <laughs> look, the man cave is live. Spendable he's income. Like, he's got like four or five TVs in the man cave. Now he may be getting a projector on the side of the house. It's going to be a fantastic time at the yeah, Callahan household. Recruiting you, pays you, the bills, apparently. Yeah. You all are invited. Anytime, open invitation, whenever you want, come on by. Just drop your address in the YouTube chat. <laughs> <laughs> no, but do, hey, um, the uh, the the live stream that we did, we had a guy who was like kept on asking questions about whether we needed more Bojangles, and he was going to drop it off. And I was like, Ross, do not answer 
him. Do not respond to him in the chat. Oh, it was your DoorDash guy. He was trying to get a, or your Grubhub guy. He was trying to figure out what y'all needed, man. Why yeah. you just be, it's innocent. It's you not stalkerish. It, it's innocent until you see him like standing in the, in the driveway Woods. at two o'clock in the morning. <laughs> I want to know where Travis Shaw is going. <laughs> let's get out of here. Let's uh let's break this one off. Uh guys, it's been fun. Kirsten Don, appreciate y'all joining this rowdy bunch. Next week, I guess we'll try to have one a couple days before Christmas. We'll see. Might be too deep in the eggnog. Uh Carolina football, Carolina basketball. We'll keep it real right here inside Carolina Podcast on the beat live. Thanks, Gregory. Thanks everybody for joining. We'll talk again soon. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey.